This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, January 14th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. Big tech actors like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube feel increasingly comfortable banning conservative voices from their platforms. But as big tech is willing to censor conservatives for their speech, other platforms devoted to free expression are starting to make their moves. Director of Heritage Center for Technology Policy, Laura Reese, joins the show to talk about how big tech censors conservatives and how platforms like Getter and Rumble are putting free speech at the forefront. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Laura Reese, let's hit our top news stories of the day. The Supreme Court has blocked the Biden administration from enforcing its COVID-19 vaccine mandate for businesses. The mandate would have required businesses with 100 or more employees to have everyone vaccinated or undergo weekly testing. On Thursday, the court ruled the Biden administration overstepped its bounds by using the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, to mandate vaccines. In an unsigned opinion, the six conservative justices wrote, OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress. Indeed, although Congress has enacted significant legislation addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, it has declined to enact any measures similar to what OSHA has promulgated here. The three liberal justices, Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor, dissented, writing an assigned opinion, acting outside of its competence and without legal basis, the court displaces the judgments of the government officials given the responsibility to respond to workplace health emergencies. While the court blocked the OSHA mandate from taking effect, the court did rule that the administration can mandate COVID-19 vaccines for medical facilities that take Medicare or Medicaid. President Joe Biden is asking social media companies to take action to stop the spread of misinformation about COVID-19. During a speech to the nation Thursday addressing efforts to address the rise in COVID cases, Biden said social media platforms have an important role to play right now per Yahoo Finance. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. Biden did not mention any social media platforms by name. The president's remarks come shortly after a group of 270 doctors sent a letter to Spotify regarding the podcaster Joe Rogan's interview with virologist Dr. Robert Malone at the end of December. The podcast episode discussed the pandemic and the efficacy of the vaccine. In the letter, the doctors asked Spotify to take action against the mass misinformation events which continue to occur on its platform. Variety reports that the Joe Rogan experience was the number one podcast on Spotify in 2021. Biden also made an appeal to unvaccinated Americans during his Thursday speech, encouraging them to get the vaccine. And the president announced he is ordering another 500 million at-home COVID tests atop the 500 million he already announced. Democrat Senator from Arizona Kristen Sinema confirmed on Thursday that she will not back efforts to alter the filibuster, seemingly ending attempts by Senate Democrats to change the procedure. In a floor speech on Thursday, Sinema argued that removing the filibuster would hurt the nation and that the best way forward to pass legislation is through bipartisan cooperation. Here's Sinema via Forbes. Eliminating the 60-vote threshold will simply guarantee that we lose a critical tool 
that we need to safeguard our democracy from threats in the years to come. It is clear that the two-party strategies are not working, not for either side, and especially not for the country. Now, it's comfortable for members of each party, particularly those who spent their career in party politics, to think that their respective party alone can move the country forward. Party control becomes a goal in and of itself. Instead of prioritizing a healthy, appropriate balance in which Americans' diverse views and shared values are represented. But when one party need only negotiate with itself, policy will inextricably be pushed from the middle towards the extremes. Cinema joins fellow Senate Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia in pushing back against attempts to remove or alter the filibuster. In response to Cinema's Thursday speech, Manchin told reporters, very good, excellent speech. The House of Representatives passed a controversial voting bill on Thursday. The bill would expand the federal government's role in state and local election laws. The vote Thursday was directly along party lines, with Democrats supporting it and Republicans voting against it. Heritage Foundation senior legal fellow Hans von Spakovsky says bills like the one the House passed Thursday would only make elections less secure. He detailed the purpose of the bill on Morning Wire Thursday. They do everything from gut state voter ID laws to severely restrict the ability of states to clean up and maintain the accuracy of their voter rolls. In essence, it's like they want to guarantee dishonest elections for the foreseeable future. The legislation would allow for same-day voter registration and permit anyone to vote by absentee ballot for any reason. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he will bring the bill up for a vote in the Senate before the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. But the bill is unlikely to pass as long as the filibuster is still in place. The voting bill would require 10 Republican votes to meet the 60 votes required in the Senate. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Laura Reese as we discuss big tech censorship and the rise of free speech focused platforms like Getter and Rumble. I'm Zach Smith. And I'm Giancarlo Canaparo. And if you want to understand what's happening at the Supreme Court, be sure to check out SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast. We take a look at the cases, the personalities, and the gossip at the highest court in the land. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your podcasts. It's SCOTUS 101. Our guest today is Laura Reese, Director of the Center for Technology Policy and Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation. Laura, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me on. With the rise of censorship from platforms like Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, we've seen free speech-focused alternatives such as Getter and Rumble pop up to try and take their place as free speech-friendly platforms. How successful have those efforts been so far? Well, it's it's still relatively early, um, and they are kind of at their infancy, these, these new companies. Um, but they seem to get quick spurts mm. of people joining them. Um, for example, just last week, um, Getter had 1 million people join. Uh, they're now up to 4.2 million. Now, you compare that to Twitter, uh, which has 330 million. Mm. 
Um, it's an uphill battle, but nonetheless, uh, when you have very public events of censorship, such as the the Joe Rogan interview with Dr. Malone regarding COVID taken down from both YouTube and Twitter, it drives people to these other platforms. So I suspect they're just going to grow, but it's going to take some more time. I'm curious, do you happen to know if Twitter was in the same boat where they sort of grew very quickly at first and then sort of kind of petered off or was was that not how they went? So I think Twitter was more organic and a little more a gradual increase over the years. Um, you know, it, it was a brand new type of communicating, 140 characters. Uh, it was it was foreign to people. And so it was much more steady, slow growth as people uh, got comfortable with it. So I, I view that differently than than these new platforms that are being created almost out of necessity just for conservatives and, mm -hmm. and others to be able to communicate with confidence that their content's not going to be taken down or their reputation maligned, et cetera. Do Getter and Rumble really take their kind of claim to fame as the censorship thing where, where they're free speech platforms or are there other issues at play that make these alternatives so popular? They, they do take it to heart, and I think they're having a much smarter approach to content. Um, nobody wants extreme violence posted on their platforms or sexual explicit material, you know, sex trafficking, things like that. Um, and that is, if you talk about the legislation and the, the liability protection that these tech platforms have that was given to them by Congress, the the focus is obscene, lewd, uh, filthy, excessively violent, harassing. Those are the standards. Now, there is also in that language given to them by Congress, otherwise objectionable. And it's in that very vague uh, standard or, or term that companies like Twitter and YouTube are putting in whatever content they suddenly find objectionable. Mm. Um, and so it's very vague and it's difficult for users to know uh, what rules they should be following. So these new companies are have gone much more back to the original intent. And they said, you know, it's not that hard. Uh, if you're going to talk about ivermectin, fine, we're not going to take your content down. Uh, beheadings, yes, we're taking that down. And so um, I, I think they have the right approach. And I think the, the older platforms like, like Twitter and, and YouTube and Facebook did themselves and certainly their users a disservice when they decided to basically referee content. Because how do you manage that mm -hmm. uh, with just the sheer volume of, of content that is up? They're going to miss stuff. They're going to get it wrong. And they certainly have. Speaking of people who have been censored, you mentioned Robert Malone at the beginning, uh, former President Trump and recently uh, after that, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene were banned from these mainstream social media platforms. Have they found success on these alternative platforms? Well, uh, President Trump has has held back. Um, I, Getter would like for President Trump to join there. He has not. Now, meanwhile, um, he is about to put out his uh, – he started his own company, uh, the Trump Media and Technology Group. Uh, the Truth Social is, is the um, social media platform that that company is going to launch in February. It seems to be like a Twitter alternative. Mm -hmm. um, so I think President Trump's kind of holding back and, and want to focus on the new company that he's starting. 
Um, other people who have been suspended, like um, Representative Green, yes, they're going elsewhere. Um, Getter seems to be the the hot one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Pre-January 6th, it was Parler that was experiencing a lot of conservatives moving over off of Twitter and Facebook, whether it was Sean Hannity or Mark Levin and, and many others. And then, of course, after January 6th, you know, they were kicked off the app stores and then um, AWS, Amazon Web Services, pulled the plug on them. I am curious to follow up on that. Um, what is the guarantee that these new platforms will not be axed by Amazon Web Services or something? What's the guarantee that they're not that's not going to happen again? Well, if it's if you're just talking an application, um, something in an application store, you don't have that guarantee because you're dealing with either, um, you know, Apple or the Play Store for Google. And if if they yank you, um, you know, that's you. There are workarounds where you could go on your laptop and and still access some applications, but it's a lower level in the in the technology stack where Amazon Web Services it's it's the hosting service, and if that gets pulled, it's lights out, and that's exactly what Parler experienced. So now you're having uh, more companies uh, build their own infrastructure. Uh, there's a company called Right Forge, for example, um, which is it both hosts, it um, provides uh, data centers, but also applications. And so there's more confidence there for users that um, they're not going to have the rug pulled out from them and then not be able to operate at all. There are other parts of uh, electronic services, though, that people have to think about, too. Email, um, you know, um, MailChimp has been uh, questionable, mm-hmm. um, but also financial services and payment services. Companies like Stripe mm-hmm. also um, kicked off Trump uh, activities and, and fundraising events. Um, Wells Fargo, Chase. Uh, so that is another aspect of our digital lives that conservatives need to keep an eye on and, and perhaps go elsewhere or, or build their own. You know, I'm fortunate. It becomes very balkanized. Um, but people need to live and, and you know, raise money and um, be able to bank, et cetera. So um, this is the world we're living in right now. Mm. We discussed the move from sort of a, a lower profile site like Getter to a large explosion of people. You mentioned one million people joined um, at a time. And one of the things that kind of precipitated that was when podcaster Joe Rogan moved from Twitter to Getter. Obviously, he has both, but he is now on Getter as well. Is that how these sites will begin to pick up traction is through large people, kind of like high profile people moving from one site to the other site? That seems to be the trend right now. Uh, Another one example is Rumble. Um, So Senator Rand Paul left YouTube um, and and, uh, moved over to Rumble to to post video content. Um, and you've got other members going over there, whether it's, t- you know, former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, um, you know, an actor like Russell Brand. And so now these companies are seem eager to announce new big names coming to their platforms to then increase uh, users signing up. Now, we've actually kind of discussed how these things kind of ebb and flow. I, I almost sometimes fear that these Places are just kind of flashes in the pan, right? Remember Parler, Gab. These are all sites that kind of came and went. Um, 
I guess, do we see these efforts to decouple from the bigger platforms as being something sustainable, or do we see this as kind of a, a rotating cycle? I think it's too early to tell. Um, when, But it does not seem like Twitter is going to let up in terms of removing content and removing accounts entirely. Um, you know, the new CEO has has been quoted as, you know, less concerned with free speech and, and more about driving um, their users towards the information that Twitter wants to provide. Um, that doesn't bode well for free speech or, you know, true public discourse or having disagreements about difficult topics like COVID and, and COVID response. Um, so as long as that trend continues, uh, then the um, these alternatives, I think, will grow and um, compete with each other and um, also spread into some of these other areas I talked about, perhaps like email services and payment services and the like. You mentioned that Twitter and these other social media titans don't really seem like they're going to respond by clamping down on censorship. They're going to keep doing it. Have they officially made any statements about these platforms? Do they seem concerned? They don't seem to be concerned. Um, I think given the advertising money that these older, larger platforms raise, as well as their user base and sheer volume and their, their global reach, they don't seem too concerned with these these newer platforms. One issue I would note, though, is um, just convenience. Mm. I mean, I, I myself didn't used to use Twitter until a couple of years ago. Um, and just I find one social platform, it's time consuming to to read up, keep up on, on you know, what's being posted and to post yourself. Um, I, I don't have the time to, you know, go to multiple sites and, and read up and post. And, and I'm sure I'm not alone on that. And so the idea of cross-posting, um, is interesting to me. So can you cross post on, say, Getter and Twitter? You know, what does that mean in terms of agreements between those companies mm. or inconsistent policies and guidelines? It's it's going to be interesting to watch. Now, that is an interesting point that there would have to be some sort of agreement between Twitter and Getter to do a cross posting thing. A lot of people will start to accuse these sites like Rumble and Getter even Parler and Gab, of being conservative echo chambers and that not being a way to sort of reach out to larger Americans as a whole. How do we make sure that these are actual competitive alternatives or how do the sites themselves make sure that they're actual competitive alternatives and not just perceived as conservative echo chambers? Well, I think as long as they um, stay in that very easy, clean content moderation set of guidelines of you know, not excessively violent or, or, or explicit sexual postings, um, they are going to get, these newer platforms are going to get a much more of a draw and not just by conservatives. I mean, there were plenty of apolitical people, left-leaning people throughout this COVID pandemic who really questioned why, why is honest discussion around uh, medicines and treatments and alternative um, options to COVID as a response. Why is that misinformation for a brand new disease that you know people are just learning as we go? And so I think it's opened a lot of eyes, not just conservatives, about what's happening and in terms of free speech, public speech. And uh, I think these newer platforms were, will benefit from it.
Now, I want to dive into that free speech idea because obviously as, as lovers of liberty, we want free speech to be the priority. Um, I've talked with colleagues, friends who are on some of these platforms who view the angle of we on, the only thing we will take down is something that is explicitly illegal, something like a beheading video that you, you mentioned on maybe Rumble. How do these sites balance the free speech needs and the concerns of safety? Because I've heard that some of these comments that some of these people receive are, are quite vulgar and vile, but where's the balance? So free speech historically in, in the U.S. has been – it's been tif- difficult. There have been many cases in the courts that have gone to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, the often cited rule is you can't yell fire in a, in a movie theater. So if you are actively inciting violence, then that's not okay. Um, but otherwise, there has to be room for offensive language. Um, and, and, you know, these days everybody's offended. So um, the the benefit of the doubt needs to go towards more speech, not less. Mm. Does that prove to be maybe a concern? One of the reasons I know a lot of people sometimes will criticize Twitter on the left, well, they'll say this was vulgar, this was vile, it was it was threatening to me. Why didn't you take it down? And then Twitter tends to respond in that way. Do we see that maybe that would be a problem for some of these smaller sites like Getter and Rumble if they don't do that? I mean, it could be. Um, I I think the the harder they try to stick to the that easier, cleaner uh, set of guidelines. Um, the more successful that they will be. Literally, I think it takes an army at, at companies like Twitter to play referee on, on um, some of this stuff. And it's not good for business. It's not good for uh, Americans, the users, um, or, or free speech or our body politic. What are some of the lessons you think that the larger companies can be taking from some of these companies like Getter and Rumble? Well, that... Um, they, they should return to the original intent of, of what was behind Section 230 liability protection. Um, they should be allowing more free speech, not less. Um, they should not be getting in the, this business of disinformation or misinformation because, you know, who defines that? It's very vague. It's, it seems to change weekly. Um, and it, it seems to be bleeding into political speech, uh, you know, what members of Congress, some would like to label as extremism. Um, it's just a very slippery, very dangerous uh, slope. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, they seem to be going down that path. Um, it would be good for them to stop and reassess and um, and move in the other direction. Um, it's not going to be good for business for them. They're giving up about half of the American uh, population, if if they view speech from the right or even the center right as extremist mm. um, or labeling topics as, as misinformation. Mm. How do these conversations about big tech alternatives fit into conservative views on things like Section 230? More competition is is better. Free market, fair market. Um, as conservatives, you know we, we are all for that. Mm. Um, now, a lot of these big tech companies would argue, "Oh, we have lots of competition." Uh, it's funny. We we receive a weekly email from Google, and it's literally called week, "Weekly Competition Facts," where, <laughs> where where they try to show you know, other companies um, 
and, and how they provide competition to, to Google. Um, I would note on here, I, I rarely or hardly ever see anything regarding, say, search engine. Mm. Um, so if, if you have to say we have uh, competition every week, you know, it begs the question, do you really? Um, but for these th- big tech companies, it's, it's more about their behavior. You know, what are they doing, whether it is preferencing in, in terms of search engine results or um, moderating content or fact-checking. And so that's where there is a real opportunity for um, much more not just competitive platforms to emerge and, and to grow, but companies that act like you know, free market companies and are not getting in the business of deciding what speech is allowed and what isn't. So begin to wrap up, I'd like to ask kind of two paired questions. First off, should conservatives feel comfortable moving to these platforms? Generally, yes. Now, one issue I think both these companies need to pay attention to, but so do users and prospective users. And that is um, who's financing these companies? Where are the servers? And this is something Parler ran into after January 6th where it tried to re-stand up the company in terms of who's doing cybersecurity, where are the servers hosted, um, are they domestic, are there Russian ties, are there Chinese ties, because then you're getting into security issues, um, data privacy concerns. Um, so the companies and the founders and, and the users – as, as best users can, should do some due diligence. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of the question is, should conservatives then leave these other platforms like YouTube and Twitter? Well, I mean, in some cases, they don't have a choice. They're kicked off permanently. Um, you know, there is certainly an argument to be, to be made that if you leave, if conservatives all leave Twitter, then we're not taking good arguments and, and logic and, and thoughtful policy recommendations and conversations uh, to the left and trying to convince people on the left um, that you know they are indeed good policy decisions. And so if you just abandon Twitter to the left, you know that's not a good thing either. Um, so that's where you know maybe this cross posting is a good idea where you can, um, have a little bit more security on some of these uh, personal security in terms of um, confidence that you're not going to be uh, kicked off on, on some of these new smaller alternatives. Um, but you're also still making good um, arguments and per- persuasive, giving persuasive ideas on the platforms like Twitter and, and YouTube and Facebook. That was Laura Reese, director of the Center for Technology Policy and senior research fellow for Homeland Security here at the Heritage Foundation. Laura, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.